All right. Well, it's the first Sunday of 2018, and we're going to start a new sermon series called The Way of the Early Church. The Way of the Early Church, we're going to be going through uh, the book of Acts, and I'm excited about this series because uh, I want to see a great move of God this year. Amen? You want to see a great move of God this year? And I believe that the way for us to do that isn't to look for something new, but to grab hold of something eternal. It's not to find the, the cool new thing, but to connect with the eternal things of God, the truths of God that stand through time. We need to learn the ways of the early church. So in this series, we're going to unlock several powerful eternal principles that we need in order to see God do mighty things. And that's, that's what I'm excited about is seeing what we can grab hold of through the study of the book of Acts, the early church. So let's do an intro into the book of Acts. It was written by Luke. There's the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke was written by Luke, which makes perfect sense. And then Acts was also written by Luke. So Luke was actually a prolific writer in the New Testament with the book of Luke and the book of Acts, two very long, lengthy books. And so a tremendous amount of the New Testament written by Luke. Let's read Luke 1, 1 through 4, and see his motivation for writing the book of Luke. Luke begins with, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. So there were things handed down to us, Luke says, from those uh, who first were eyewitnesses. So Luke wasn't necessarily there at the very beginning, but he heard the message, responded to the message, and then he learned about things that happened earlier. So they were handed down. Verse 3, Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke had a relationship with this individual named Theophilus, which I don't know a whole lot about Theophilus. The only times I see him mentioned are at the beginning of the book of Luke and the beginning of the book of Acts. And this apparently is the motivation for Luke to make sure that this individual, Theophilus, has an accurate understanding of what's going on. And so he records the history. Luke actually went and interviewed. That's that investigation that is talking about. Uh, there's tremendous evidence, and it's widely accepted that Luke himself went and interviewed Mary about what was it like when you were carrying Jesus? What was it like in those days? What was it like to have the angel talk to you? How did that all work? He went and interviewed Mary, and that's where you get information in the book of Luke about the, the Christmas story is because he went back and he interviewed things. John, you see him talking about all the things that Jesus did and how awesome Jesus was. Uh, and so the view from the from the gospel of John is very different from the view of the gospel of Luke. But he went and did these investigations and went to, to uh, understand and present what was going on. And so then Acts chapter 1, 1 and 2, 
He basically picks up where he left off. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So the book of Acts is picking up from the, basically the ascension of Jesus. So uh, when Jesus floated up into heaven, that the ascension and that forward through the history of the early church through the apostle Paul. And so we see this, this history being recorded uh, in the book of Acts. And there's tremendous, tremendous things that we can glean from the book of Acts. It's, you know, it's just fantastic stuff. And sometimes Luke was there. Sometimes Luke wasn't there. There will be times when Luke will talk about, then they went here. And there will be other times where you'll see, he says, and then we went here. You know, so sometimes Luke was there and he gives a firsthand account. Other times it's from these, uh, uh, you know, investigations that he did and just hearing the stories from other people. Now in the book of Luke, it was a simpler time. You know, most theological divisions hadn't even come up yet. Most theological divisions hadn't even come up yet. You know, we've got all these different denominations. We've got all this stuff going on. None of that had even come up in the first place. You know, they, from what I understand, they had three cardinal doctrines in the early church. Jesus was the Christ. That's a big one because that was groundbreaking news back then. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus rose from the dead, which was huge. Again, groundbreaking stuff that the Christ would be crucified and die and then rise again. And the third one was that salvation was through faith in Jesus' name. Those were the three cardinal doctrines. Now, today, we just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's go fight about something else. You know, let's go fight about this little detail, that little detail. You know, oh, you said the wrong thing when you baptized somebody or whatever. You know, it was a much simpler time. They were trying to wrap their minds around things like Jesus rose from the dead. Wow. And so it was a, it was a, uh, a time when there was no baggage. You know, they didn't have all this religious baggage. They were coming out of Judaism, of course. You know, uh, Jesus fulfilled the law. And so it was a, a transition from the old covenant to the new covenant uh, for the Jewish people and then the Gentiles to be grafted in. But it was still a simple time with little baggage. The group had just got to know each other. And, uh, you know, they're, they're brand new believers. No baggage. It's like, uh, it's like when I first met my wife, Trinette, you know, you meet your girlfriend and you got no relational baggage at all. You're just like, hey, how's it going? What's your name? You know, that sort of thing. You get no baggage. And then, of course, time goes by and you pick up some baggage, you know, and uh, then it gets more complicated over time. And that's like, you know, like marriage. Trinette and I have been married 26 and a half years now. That's a long time and uh, fantastic stuff. And the reality is, is, is we can't go back to before we were married. We can't go back there. But there are things from back there that are beautiful and wonderful that we can bring into today. Or we can forget those things and just get mired in the busyness of life. 
But there are those beautiful things from back then, some of those things that we can bring into today. And it's the same thing with the church. We can get mired in all the baggage. We can argue about what color the candles should be and what, all, what people should wear and what instruments should be played in church and all this stuff. Or we can go back to a, a more beautiful, simple understanding of the Lord and grab hold of these eternal principles that they had a grasp of in the early church. Now, it wasn't a perfect time. They were trying to figure things out. And, you know, they had to go through their processes. And that's just the maturing thing that happens. We'll talk about that as we go through the series. But we want to grab hold of those beautiful uh, principles, ways of God that we see in the early church. So let's pray and we will get into week one of the way. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for a new year, Lord, for a new beginning. And Lord, I ask you to just do something good this morning. Father, we we need to know your ways. We need to understand how to walk in your ways and to grab hold of abundant life and to see light overcome darkness. Lord, so help us to see your ways through, uh, through your word. Father, each one of us is dealing with different things and we're fighting a different part of the battle. So Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would touch each one of us with just what we need so that we could grab hold of something good from you and take a step forward. Lord, bless this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Part one, the way of the early church that we are going to look at today is that they relied on the Holy Spirit. They relied on the Holy Spirit. They didn't have it all figured out. They didn't have universities to go study. They didn't have conferences to teach them how to do church. They relied on the Holy Spirit because it was new and it was fresh and they didn't understand what was going on. And let me ask you, do we understand what's going on? We've got little glimpses, right? We need to rely on the Holy Spirit as well. And I'm going to read a couple of verses before we get into the book of Acts. I want to read Zechariah 4.6, which says this. This is a very, the, the second half of the verse, a very famous verse uh, from the book of Zechariah. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Zechariah was the prophet. Zerubbabel, his name means begotten in Babylon. He is the uh, descendant of exiles to Babylon. He's Jewish, but he grew up an exile in Babylon, and his name is begotten in Babylon. And he is the leader who is going to bring the first Jews back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding the temple, build the, the second temple. So, Zerubbabel needs to build an army and build a, a, get a bunch of construction people together so that they can go forward and they can rebuild the temple. And the prophet says to this man, he says, here's the word of the Lord for you. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit says the Lord, not by might, 
nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So did they need might and power? Well, yeah. (laughs) But you know what they really needed was the spirit of God, the power of God, the provision of God, the protection of God, the hand of God upon them to succeed. Psalm 127 verse 1 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. So this is basically saying we can go on our own strength and we can work really hard and we can see a lack of results or We can trust God, be diligent to do what he shows us, be obedient to his ways and submissive to the Holy Spirit of God. And then we can see success. Then we can see the house built and it stand. Then we can see the temple rebuilt and it it work and not be overcome not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. And the early church understood that they needed the Holy Spirit of God. They needed to follow the Lord moment by moment, day by day, or they're out on their own and it's going to fall apart. It's going to be a lot of work and it's not going to produce the results. Now, in today's world, not by might nor by power, But by my spirit, says the Lord. Oh, that's a nice verse. Isn't that nice? That's very nice. Now let's go get to work and figure it out. Right? I mean, largely ignored in our world, in the Christian world. Yep, lip service, but that's pretty much it. The reality is that we need to trust in God and we need to be led by the Holy Spirit just as much today as back in the Old Testament times and in the early church times. And so this is the message for today that every week I endeavor to have something that if you believed it and put it into practice, it would change your life. This is that thing. (laughs) Rely on the Holy Spirit. Connect with and rely on the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Starting in verse 4. So, on one occasion, so this is Luke. He's explaining what happened now, that Jesus rose from the grave and he had conversations with the apostles. So it says here, on one occasion, while he, that is Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus reiterates, wait, stay in Jerusalem. You need something. You need a promise to come on you. Just wait. Don't do anything. Just wait. Verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this on topic? So Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit's going to come in a few days. You just wait. Oh, 
Are you going to become king now? Is that what's going to happen? Because we were pretty sure you're going to become king. We put the palm branches down. Everybody sang Hosanna. And then it, that week went kind of weird and it didn't turn out how we thought. We thought you're going to become the king. And then they killed you. And that was really hard for us. Uh, so now you're going to be king. Is that, is that how that's going to work? And here's the response. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. He just brushes them off. He doesn't say, you know, you're, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. Here's how it really is going to go. He just brushes them off. That's not for you to know. Verse 8, he reiterates, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Just think for a minute how ridiculous is this claim of Jesus to this group of people. This small group, uh, less than what attend Good Hope Church, this small group of people, he says to them, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you are going to bring the gospel not just to Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria, but to the whole world. What an amazing statement. You will receive power. What that means is that we can work on our own strength and we can do things that we can do, but when we rely on the Holy Spirit, it allows us to tap into the power of God in a situation. Now, if we want to see revival in our community and we do everything that we can do, how much is going to get done? Well, some, (laughs) but if God does all he can do, then what's going to get done? It opens up a whole new realm of things when we rely on the power of God rather than relying on our own strength. I don't know about you, but I've done plenty of things for the Lord in my own strength. In fact, when I was a new believer, I, I, I actually said this to God. I said, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I'm going to go do some things for you now. (laughs) I don't need you to do any more. That's more than what you should have done for me. I'll go do some things for you now. The thing I didn't understand about that is I was walking away from the power of God and doing things in my own strength rather than anticipating and expecting and tying into the power of God and letting God do things through me. Letting God do things through me is way better than doing things for God. So I wrote down some nice things about this. (laughs) But let's... Let's see how this played out in the short term first. So Jesus says, you're going to receive power. And this is how that plays out. Acts 2, starting in verse 1. Let's read what happened. When the day of Pentecost came, so this is about 50 days after the crucifixion. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they weren't babbling. They were speaking in languages that other people that had come to Jerusalem for uh, the Feast of Pentecost uh we're able to understand. So this isn't just nonsensical babble. This is an actual human language that different ones were speaking different human languages. Verse five. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound. So apparently this wind was loud enough to get everybody's attention. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So, we'll finish this section, verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? So let me ask you this. Do you go to Bible college and take a class on how to get this to happen? You you can't. It's impossible. You know, like, what if they had planned to do this? So Peter's sitting them all down. Okay, you learn Arabic. All right, you learn, you know, this language. You learn that language. They've only got a few weeks after the crucifixion to be able to get all this figured out. And instead, the Holy Spirit just comes on them and God's power comes on them. They're able to do things that in their own strength would be completely impossible. And all these different nationalities, all these different people who speak these different languages hear the wonders of God explained in their own language. It's the birth of the church spread out to all these different people. This was a God moment that they were simply open to and available for. Right? They didn't plan it. There was no marketing campaign. Come to the miracle of Pentecost. You know, there was nothing like that. They were just together seeking God open to whatever God would do. God said he was going to do something, and he did something. And it was an amazing, incredible thing. So here's the question. How do we rely on the Holy Spirit? How do we do that in today's context? How do we bring that, uh, that thing from the early church into today? How do we trust in and rely on the Holy Spirit so that we can tap in to God's power instead of doing things on our own strength, wearing ourselves out and not seeing the, the fruit of it anyway? I've got a, just a few things to say about that, how to rely on the Holy Spirit. And here's the basic idea. It's not that we do things for God, but we make ourselves available for God to do things through us and we set the stage for God to do mighty things. So it's, it's a shift from me doing things for God. Instead, we look to be available so that God can do things through us. 
And we also look to set the stage for God to do mighty things. So how do we make ourselves available to God, available to the Holy Spirit? I've got four things. I'm sure there's a hundred, but here's the four that I think are significant for this. First thing is you have to believe. You have to believe that the Holy Spirit is real and that God wants to guide you and empower you through the Spirit. If you don't believe that, you're, you're going to say, well, that guy is enthusiastic, but he's a little odd, and you're going to move on with your life. But if you believe that, then the capacity to tap into the power of God is there. So first thing, we must believe these promises. Second thing is be there. We make ourselves available to God by showing up. I remember as a new pastor years ago, uh, one of my mentors who who attended the church, uh, he said, well, you know, we're just going to show up. We're going to show up and see what God wants to do. You know, and that that was a simpler day. And we just would show up and we'd sing some songs and preach the word and see what God wanted to do. And it was, it was neat, but we have to be there. We have to show up. You have to show up for your personal devotional time. You have to show up to the prayer meeting. You have to show up to the church service. You have to be there in order to be available to God. So believe, be there. The next one is so key. Listen. Too many times. And of course, I'm I'm using myself as an example. You know, I've got an idea that I want God to do. That doesn't come from listening. That comes from telling. You know, I don't get to tell God what he needs to do. I listen to God and what he wants to do. The apostles didn't come up with the idea of the miracle of the day of Pentecost. It wasn't their plan. You know, Peter didn't hatch this plan. This was God's idea, and they had to listen. They had to listen to Jesus when he said, just wait, and you're going to receive power. They weren't to start doing evangelism at that point. They had to wait, so they waited. They listened to what uh, the Lord said, and that is a, a very important thing for us, which is to listen to the still, small voice. You know, God speaks to us quietly. If God speaks loudly, then usually there's something rather difficult you're about to step into. But most of the time, God speaks quietly. And I believe he does that simply for this reason, so that we can argue with him. Have you ever argued with God? Imagine if God appeared in all his glory before you. Would you argue with God? No, (laughs) but a still small voice that you're pretty sure is God, but maybe it's just a thought in your head. You can argue with that. And so it gives us the opportunity to see what's in our heart and how much faith do we have in what God is telling us, but we have to tune in and listen. So believe, be there, listen, and step four is obey. Have you ever heard and not obeyed? When I was a new believer, man, I had such a 
I, I yearn for those early days. You know, it's like you mature in the faith too, and it's just different than it was. You know, your, your first time of getting to know God and the power of God, it's just so amazing. And, you know, just these uh, revelations and just mind-blowing experiences time after time. And, and I just prayed all the time because I didn't know not to, you know, so... Like I just, in my head, I just kind of had a running dialogue with God pretty much all the time. And I'd ask him questions and he'd get answers. And like immediately it was so great. Now it's a little different, but back then it was just so sweet. God being nice to a new believer. And I had missed a couple assignments, you know, like God said, do this. And I didn't. And then this one time, very specifically tell this particular thing to this particular person. You ever get that? Tell this person this thing. And I was just, you know, I don't know, in my early 20s and super nervous about everything. And so I chickened out and didn't tell this person. And then I had silence for six months. Silence. Open the scriptures just reading words, pray, just me by myself, in church, in worship, singing a song. And it was quiet for six months. I went to the altar over and over again. Lord, I want to hear your voice. Come on. And I just knew, well, if I'm not going to listen, why is he going to speak? I'm not going to obey. Why is he going to bother with me? And so obedience is vitally important in growing and developing our ability to hear and trust in God. So we need to believe, we need to be there, we need to listen, and we need to obey. So that's how we make ourselves available. How do we set the stage? You know, that's in my little phrase here too, that uh, it's not that we do things for God, but we make ourselves available for God to do things through us And we set the stage for God to do mighty things. Like in a church setting, we're trying to set the stage for God to do something. In a small group, you're trying to set the stage. Even in devotional time, you're trying to set the stage. And then have God show up. How do we do that? Well, I got four things written down for that. Pray. (laughs) We must pray and ask God to come. Then we must glorify the Lord. You know, if I want to talk about how great I am, God will let me do that while he's somewhere else, right? (laughs) But if I want to talk about how great God is, he's going to show up. If we're going to praise the Lord in song, the, the spirit of God will come and dwell in the praises of his people. So we must glorify the Lord. Then we need to make room. We, uh, we allow for what they call vocal gifts in today's world at Good Hope Church, where someone can speak from the congregation, a prophetic word, uh, tongues and interpretation, these sorts of things, we allow for that. Now, we've got a process to do that decently and in order, which is the people, I need to know the person and have approved them to be able to do that. Not just anybody can do that. But you have to make room because sometimes you'll be in church and you'll think, 
there's someone in here that needs to hear this. And you'll have a message for somebody. Like there's somebody in here that thinks all hope is lost and it isn't. And then you think, I hope that guy says that. And then he doesn't because you're the one that's supposed to say it. And so we have to make room for those things. So if you've had that happen, come and talk to me and I'll help you understand how to be able to bring that out. We will make room for that because that can be the thing that connects with that particular person and makes the difference for them. We don't want to miss that. That opens us up to the God thing instead of just the good thing. So we need to make room and then each one of us needs to be available like we've already discussed. So we need to pray, glorify the Lord, make room, and then be available. That sets the stage. With me so far? Come on. Now this miracle at Pentecost was confusing to most of the people there. So Peter gets up and he explains it. You know, some people thought they were all drunk and it's nine o'clock in the morning and, you know, everybody's trying to figure out what's going on. Again, it's the very early stage. Nobody really knows what's happening. So Peter, full of the spirit, comes up and he preaches this message and he explains things like prophecy is being fulfilled on that particular day that Jesus is the Christ and that he rose from the grave. And Peter finishes this um Great sermon with this in Acts 2, verse 36. Acts 2, 36 says this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now I'm going to let that hang up there for a little bit. And I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward because this is the first weekend of the month and we receive communion on the first weekend of the month. And uh, so uh, we're going to begin handing out the communion elements. If you would like to receive communion, go right ahead. We don't check and see, your, you know, your, if you have a, a card or anything like that. If you want to receive communion, you are welcome to do so. My, the only thing I ask is that you make it real between you and God that you are honoring what Jesus did on the cross in receiving of communion. And so they're going to start handing out the communion elements. And let me reread what Peter had to say here. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Who crucified Jesus? So it was the Romans under the pressure of the Jews, right? Physically, that's true. The Romans crucified Jesus. They wouldn't have done it if the Jews hadn't pressured them. So God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. But let me ask you this. Who did Jesus die for? Jesus was no victim. It's not that the Romans were stronger than him. He could have called down 10,000 legions of angels. He was no victim of the Romans. He was no victim of the Jews. Who did Jesus die for? So who crucified Jesus? I've got a part of it. 
You've got a part of it. Because he went there for us. He went there to set us free. He went there to show his love for us. He went there so that whatever is in our past could be taken away and we wouldn't be anchored to that and we could walk into newness of life. If we miss the fact that Jesus was crucified for us, that we are the ones who put him there. If we miss that, we miss a huge, huge part of the power of the cross. So who crucified Jesus? It really wasn't the Romans. It was the people he loved and sacrificed for. And that's you and me. How did they respond when Paul said this, verse 37? When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? If we have crucified the Christ, now what do we do? The response, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. These were the people who seven weeks ago were yelling, Crucify! And they say, well, what do we do? And Peter says, well, you know what? Why don't you just get forgiven? That's a good thing. Without hesitation, without, you know, like, well, you know, you're pretty rotten, so I'm not sure God's going to forgive you, but uh, maybe. No, he just says, hey, repent and get forgiven. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Isn't that a big deal? If they could be forgiven at any moment, just repent and, and be baptized and be forgiven. How about us? Oh, yeah. There's an amazing word that comes after that. And that's the word and. Forgiveness is a lot. God offers us forgiveness and. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000. Baptized. Forgiven. and Open to and available to the Holy Spirit. Now, looking at the research, there was 100 to 200,000 people in Jerusalem on that day. 3,000 accepted the message. I don't know how many heard. I mean, they didn't have the same technology that we have. But more heard than 3,000. Some accepted the message. So what about you? You've heard the message too. Are you in? Are you willing to say, yes, Lord, I'm with you. Yes, I want forgiveness and. I encourage you to grab hold of the fullness of God that you're not on your own, 
but you're walking in the power and the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Let's receive communion together. Then I'll invite the prayer teams up, and we'll have some time of personal prayer. But let's pray and receive communion first. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great plan. Lord, your plan is forgiveness and. That's amazing. Forgiveness and. To walk with you. Guided by your spirit. Empowered by your spirit. This promise is for for all. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us so much that you were willing to go to the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you are an overcomer, not a victim. You went to the cross voluntarily because you love us. Lord, help us to see ourselves through your eyes so that we no longer see our failures and our faults and our insecurities, but that we see how loved we are and we see how fearfully and wonderfully made we are and we see ourselves through your eyes. Lord, let it be. And Lord Jesus, we will not take for granted what you've done. We will remember it. We will honor you. and We will walk in your fullness. Let's receive together. This is the body of Christ which was broken for you. Thank you, Lord. And this is the blood of Christ, which was shed for you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your power. Thank you for your heart to forgive. Praise be to your name. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. As the prayer teams are coming up, I'm going to just offer a closing prayer. So uh, let me just close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your goodness. And Lord, I pray a blessing upon each one in this place. Lord, let your peace be upon us and your joy be in our hearts. And let us know your love to its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen.